Hello and welcome to Think Fit Be Fit Podcast Network. My name is Jennifer Schwartz. I'm the hostess and creator of this podcast network where we are dedicated to effective exercise with a potent mindset. Today is a wonderful episode. It's really fun and it is the second part of the recap of fitness for consumption. So you'll hear myself, Gregory Gordon or Gigi, Paul Joris or PJ discuss episodes five, six, seven, eight, and nine. And I've also included a couple clips. We share our feedback, our afterthoughts, what went into the preparation for these conversations, uh, some of the achievements and accolades of our esteemed guest, and of course, like what you know, what we found funny and what was even surprising to us. Before we start, I'm really excited to read this review that we received on iTunes. Five stars received um, on January 13th, 2021. And I think it just like really exemplifies what we're trying to do here. So I don't need to do anything else to introduce this show except read this wonderful review. So the title is Great Information, Two Podcasts in One. I found out about this podcast after searching for a podcast interview with Dr. Juris. The new podcast, Fitness for Consumption, that he hosts offers fitness professionals critical information regarding the science of exercise and motor learning. Many of the popular trends in the industry are scrutinized, and I appreciate how the show is not married to any one concept or technique, but rather looks to science to guide decisions. I was surprised to find the other podcast, Think Fit, Be Fit, hosted by Jen Schwartz. It is a refreshing challenge to the current belief that exercise needs to be constantly to constantly be a never-ending punishment. She offers a reasoned and rational approach to exercise, and I appreciate the insights offered in her interviews. She is someone I'll be learning from going forward and hope to encourage others to do the same. These are two podcasts that I highly recommend for anyone in the exercise or rehab professions. Exclamation point. Okay, that really touched my heart and it you know that's what we're looking to do we want to know what you guys are learning we want to know um even what what you want to hear about um because it's true we're not married to any one concept or technique we are looking at the undertones of exercise to help you develop a true physical physical education about the thing you're trying to change which is your body okay so if that's your goal uh, head on over to thinkfitbefitpodcast.com and join the newsletter. This is where I will be sharing my musings and findings about fitness and all the things that I enjoy and enjoy learning about and sharing. The things that I'm sharing with my athletes and my clients. For example, I just shared a blog on mobility and how 
I've been challenging the entire notion that stretching and rolling out our muscles for the sake of mobility or an uncomfortable sensation is, you know, the answer to all your mobility problems. It's not. And so I just, you know, shared my thoughts on that and a blog about it. You'll receive information about behind the scenes, uh, what's going on, how we're working out, what we're studying. You'll also receive information about the virtual exercise studio that I have created. And you can find that at impactyourfitness.net or at movementpathways.com or come hang out with me on Instagram at Jennifer underscore Simone underscore Schwartz or on Twitter at Jen Impact. Those are where I'm sharing all the musings and the findings and, again, what we're learning. For Fitness for Consumption, they are looking to develop a study club, and you'll hear more about that when we discuss the fine print. You can check them out at Fitness for Consumption on Instagram. Think Fit Be Fit is also on Facebook and Instagram at Think Fit Be Fit underscore podcast where you'll, you know, just see clips and all the things that we are considering and learning about. Again, you hear the theme, right? <laughs> so without further ado, we are starting this recap episode with a clip from Whose Movement Is It Anyway? Part 2. This was one of my just favorite episodes. I was just blown away and I will stop talking about that because here is the clip and the commentary from myself, Gigi, and PJ. Enjoy this episode and I can't wait to hear from you. Have a great week. At least from the fitness industry to PJ's initial point, we have these rigid rules about movement and that if I'm the best trainer at my club, I allow for zero error. If you have an error on my watch, I must not be doing my job. And it's actually the opposite. That that And again, we're talking about a special population in terms of cerebral palsy, but I do believe that it extends, you know, human, human condition-wide, which is the error is a critical part of the learning process and actually creating this, ba this internal bandwidth that you can move and operate and actually optimize your function. Yeah, and look, I think that's a really great example from that um, conference. And I, I think the thing I love about those conferences that we've had is the, you know, researchers really from all over from talking about all different kinds of patient populations and interventions, uh, really trying to draw on some of the concepts that Anne held near and dear to her heart. And um, you know, coming up with concepts of, you know, effort, engagement and error. I mean, I just I just love those as, as takeaways. And they're really I mean, things, you know, Anne was saying 30 or 40 years ago. I think robotics to me is very interesting and it might not apply so much, I think, in your your area. But um, one of the things that in the rehabilitation world is, you know, there's been a huge amount of money invested in robotic devices for people who've had stroke and cerebral palsy and, also, and spinal cord injury. And what has come out is that, it, you know, these robotic devices are not necessarily better than, you know, good old fashioned intense task-specific training, you know, rehabilitation training. And I think one of the big pieces that they are missing is the concept of 
error and learning. Um, I, one of my um, graduate students who's out at USC now, Lori Bishop, has done some of this work in looking at um, people with stroke. And in her dissertation study, she tried to incorporate a lot of the motor learning principles of allowing people to make errors and giving them certain kinds of feedback in a specific way and transferring what people do on a treadmill, let's say, and to overground walking. Um, and I think those kinds of studies are really the way that we need to be to be going. And I think um, Dr. Damiano's work is, I think, is a really great example of that. And I thank you for that, Laurie. But I, you know, I want to just introduce a thought here because I'm already envisioning all these personal trainers listening to this and saying, okay, well, we, we need to make sure that there's error in this now. So now they're going to jump <laughs> off the, the model and rules bandwagon and they're going to jump into the let's introduce error wagon. And so if I think about this on a very superficial level, I would say I'm never going to use a fixed path machine now because how does someone commit an error when they're in a fixed path machine? The machine is guiding their movement. And so there's no error. Therefore, the machine can't be good. Let's throw out the machine. So I like to argue every side of a point and, and try to be successful arguing every side of a point. Um, so I want to distinguish a little bit between total variability in error or endpoint variability. To the next episodes, uh, whose movement is it anyway? And part one and part two. So that was one long conversation into two, correct? Right. right. That, yeah. uh, as soon as I finished, I texted Gigi. I was like, yeah. whoa, I'm blown away. Like, not just by the content, but it was the guest. Like, she mm -hmm. really, I, I was just so... Uh, I felt so connected in that conversation to what was going on. And I felt um, really uh, privileged to hear her work, hear about her work and hear about the, her commenting on your work and our, you know, collectively the podcast. It's, it was just such an amazing uh, two episodes. I, got some really good feedback on that from some of uh some of my peers and uh what else did i i sent that one directly to multiple people i said you need to hear this is what you have to listen don't text me back until you listen <laughs> that's what kind of friend i am yeah. um <laughs> so go ahead please uh tell me your thoughts your takeaways and uh, you know i'll just let you guys do that. So I'll start off here, PJ. So even before talking about the content of the episode, mm -hmm. so for me, when uh, PJ and I spoke about doing a podcast together, what I was saying to him was that, look, you've got all these amazing stories that people need to hear because to his earlier point, there's such a gap between what is studied in academia and what eventually makes it to uh, the commercial, you know, what we call like sort of the, the pop culture Um marketing of exercise. And so my dream in starting this was being able to pull in uh, people like Dr. Lori Quinn and like expose them to the world of fitness, to the larger 
world of fitness because Dr. Lori Quinn is busy on a day-to-day basis teaching and working in the clinic. She's not spending all her time on social media marketing this product or that product. And so Mm -hmm. unfortunately, you know, unless you're in academia and following the papers and sort of the studies she's working on, you, if you're just, you know, in the commercial fitness market, you're not necessarily going to be aware of who she is or the work she's doing. And again, to talk about someone that if they wanted to, if they, if she wanted to come on a podcast and just sound like the smartest person in the room, she easily could just anyone that hasn't listened to the episode yet, just take a look at her resume. Trust me. She's got all the credentials any person would ever need. But to your point, Jen, she comes across as so warm and she she explains things, I, I think, in such an open and, um, and not necessarily easy, but just in a clear and concise way that like we were able to talk about some fairly complex topics. But to me, it came across as like just a natural flowing conversation. So that that's really in a large part kudos to her, I think. Yeah, she's a, a lovely individual, and it was so wonderful to have her on the show with us and talking about some of these ideas. And this was also the first episode in which we had a guest. Mm-hmm. So we wanted to start to introduce people, as Gigi said, who are not in the background in her field. She's very much in the forefront of her field. But for a lot of people, they're not exposed to folks like this. And part of these episodes when we bring people aboard is we want them to talk about their journey so that folks who are listening can understand that, you know, we're all just people kind of navigating our way through this universe in which we're living and working. And we all get to places differently. Mm. And through my teaching career, when I've talked to folks in the class, my comment to them is, I don't know more than you. I just know different from you because my process for getting here is different from yours. Mm -hmm. Everyone has their own process. Everyone's gone through their own particular journey and they're all unique. And if we can open up our minds and just listen to people, then we are able to extract some really valuable stuff from everybody. Whether you're the teacher or the student, it doesn't matter because the path you took to get where you are is your own. And it's something that should be shared. And so we started to share her path as well as get into some of these topics that we thought were foundational. And the title, Whose Movement Is It Anyway? was kind of a play on a game show that was on some years ago called Whose Line Is It Anyway? Mm -hmm. But the idea here is that we own our movements. So this is a continuation of why we move Mm -hmm. the fitness ecosystem, the F word. We own our movements. They're ours. We use them the way we need to use them in order to solve the problems that we face. Mm -hmm. So when someone else is telling me, dictating to me, Mm -hmm. demanding that I move in a certain way because that's how they were told that I'm supposed to move, then my response to them is, hey, whose movement is it anyway? It's mine. And so that's really what triggered this dialogue, this discussion that we had was, should we be following the rules, right? Are there real movement rules? And are we supposed to follow these rules? Or can we use movement in a way that helps us to achieve our goals and what we want to do in whatever 
design we choose to do so. Yeah, I was really happy with the the discussion around, you know, bringing her, you know, experience and input into the fitness floor. I thought that was a really cool. I thought I, I thought that was just like the right way and to talk about these concepts because much of the work that ends up in a in uh, let's say fitness conferences and teaching and CEUs starts in you know labs like hers and and hers you know like they they they're they're they originate sometimes with a physical therapy. Um, you know, background, and then they end up on the fitness floor. And a lot of stuff is usually lost in between. But I thought that was like a really nice way to present that episode and that conversation. Yeah, one thing I think that ended up being really cool was that, yeah, again, if you look at her resume, so Lori runs the neuro rehabilitative department of physical therapy at Columbia University. Um, And they're doing some pretty sophisticated stuff over there. Um, and so you might think, oh, okay, like what she's doing in a clinical setting, like, you know, how much of that is really going to apply to what someone is doing on a gym floor? And the truth is, there's a lot because we come to this common ground between all of us, which is, again, as PJ mentioned, like a common theme here is that that you the, the more you try to impose these rigid movement standards on people, it's just, it just doesn't it, I don't want to say it doesn't work entirely, but it's just not the most efficient way at helping someone develop, um, you know, their maximal capabilities. So what we really talk about in here is about being, letting the, whether it's a patient or your personal training client, letting that person be an active learner in their own process and an and active um, actor in their mm-hmm. own process and not sort of uh, just every time they move, looking for something to correct. So just uh, on a side note, I just happened to watch yesterday a video of the athlete Terrell Owens, who used to be a professional football player. And he, I don't know how it came up, but he's sprinting with this other guy who is the fastest guy in the NFL, I think right now, Tyreek Hill. And Terrell Owens is now my age, he's 46. So- He's got a kid in college. Oh, okay. So yeah, I mean, you know, he's not, but he's in, he looks in tremendous physical shape Mm -hmm. and he he's running, they're doing a 40 yard dash and he, this, the younger guy, Tyreek Hill beats him, but Terrell Owen ends up running about like a four, four 40 yard dash. And if you look at his video, you know, like if you know something about running mechanics, he doesn't have, like he doesn't have the best possible form if you would break down every single thing he's doing there's something he's got sort of like this really externally rotated gait or whatever like it's it's not the most fluent efficient sprinting i've ever seen and i'm sure there's some trainer somewhere that if he was if terrell owens was his client he'd be like no we gotta like we gotta break this down completely and like really like what are you gonna do with this guy that you think is gonna make him so much better like he's obviously functioning at a really high level mm-hmm. and like just let him do you know i'm not saying turn a blind eye and just never do any intervention but like you have to really be very conspicuous about the interventions you want to do with people and there's there's plenty to do in, in an appropriate context but again this idea and it to hear someone like Lori, who's working with people 
uh, who have Parkinson's, you know, like people with really complex, true movement dysfunctions. Um, and to hear her saying, no, look, you know, we, it's really important to us that like, we don't overburden people with mm -hmm. cues and feedback and like do them, you know, like they have to be an active participant in their movement. So to hear that she's aligned with the way that we sort of thought about it to me was really encouraging. Awesome. Running a little short on time. Um, do you have anything to add? PJ, because oh, these up the next episodes are so good. <laughs> well, yeah, not not to belabor the point because I think Gigi just stated it very well. And look, another example is Michael Johnson, who was in the '96 yeah. Olympics. That guy won more track medals than any one of the sprinters. And if you looked at his running form, you'd be aghast. I mean, it was not your prototypical running form. So what are you mm -hmm. going to say to him? You're not running the right way. You're you're your running pattern is wrong. You're not uh, adhering to the model. No, I mean, we have to let people explore movement and we have to stop correcting them. This whole notion of corrective exercise is ridiculous. If people need correction because they have true dysfunction, then they shouldn't be in front of a trainer. They should be in front of a licensed clinical therapist, physical therapist, occupational therapist, whatever. If otherwise, just let them move and stop correcting them because mm -hmm. it's not math class. So, <laughs> you know, let them, let them enjoy moving and in the experience of motion and stop putting rigid rules on people. It's really not the way to help. Let them problem solve. Yeah. Yeah. Let, let them, them problem solve. solve. Okay. All right. So, so I've said my piece. <laughs> <laughs> no, that does. That yeah. It had to be said. The Fine Print, this episode. Uh, most downloads, it really did well in the first week. I was I was not surprised uh, because I just really felt like PJ was in his flow zone. <laughs> <laughs> um, I thought, you know, I, I had a really warm feeling listening to that one because I felt like I was back in a class that I really enjoyed. I don't remember how long ago that was that I was actually in a class that I really enjoyed, but I was, I was also just able, it was like, you know, when you're, um, when you're an undergraduate, there's this moment where you feel like oh, I'm gaining some academic credibility and I yeah. feel like my professor understands me and I understand them before that. It's like a lot of crying and <laughs> I had that. I did. I had that feeling. Yeah, the epiphany finally. Yeah. Yeah. We've yeah. All been yeah. I, I, I had that feeling listening to the fine print. So I wasn't surprised that it did get as many downloads as it's still going, obviously. Um, so, and it definitely, it, I think it's a good like uh, tip off point for you guys to really start your own brand of, you know, studying and learning and, and collaborating with an audience in the podcast. So that's just my, my thought. Um, obviously I loved it. <laughs> Thanks for that. You know, the, the challenging part about doing an episode like that is people don't have the benefit of having this research study open in front of them. Mm -hmm. And this is one of those 
when Gigi and I are batting it back and forth and we're finally looking at it saying, we have to tell a story here. It's not just about going through the segments of the paper one after another and reciting what's in there. We, we have to tell a story that will shake people a little bit. And the idea the sort of the germination of this came from the fact that people don't always really read research studies. And it's either that they don't know how, or they don't have the patience or some combination of the two. People don't understand scientific methods and experimental design and statistics. And so what do you do? You read the abstract and maybe you, you read the, the last section, the last sentence of the abstract and you jump right to the conclusion. And then you say, oh, look what I just learned. And you go mm -hmm. out and run it. And what you don't realize is there's so much information either explicit or information that's hidden in there that the authors never even talk about. Mm. And if you understand how to get into that, then you're going to find that there's, wait a minute, this isn't saying what I think it's saying. And maybe I shouldn't just be running off and running down the road and jumping off the cliff so that I can go do this. So that's kind of what got me started on the topic. And, and I think Gigi was equally, equally passionate about it, right? Yeah. Well, well done. Very well done episode. Yeah, what I would say about this is that um, little known fact about me, somehow in, in, in my undergrad, my minor ended up being medieval Renaissance literature. And so that meant, you know, reading a lot of like Shakespeare and uh, one of my favorite stories was uh, Sir Gawain. And anyway, uh, the point I'm trying to make here is that if you just pick up one of those books in the old English, and English is your first language, you can probably slog through it and have, you know, like an, if you read Chaucer in the original Old English, you can probably slog through it, but you're certainly going to miss a lot. You're not going to pick up on like the jokes of the time 1400 years ago. And, um, and honestly, that's what it's like reading a research paper a lot of times, because you just, even if you can sort of understand the words in depending on the science you're studying, certain words mean different things in a different context. Mm -hmm. So, and at, like I said on an earlier podcast, I am not um, a, a research scientist. I'm a clinician, but we're lucky enough to have PJ who is an actual research scientist. So when I was getting my undergrad in medieval Renaissance literature, when you actually go through one of these stories with someone who's a professor in that area, you're like, oh, wow, that's really fun. Like when he can sort of translate it to you, it's a totally different story. And even mm -hmm. for me, someone uh, like that relative to the average person reads a lot of research papers. There are so many things, and not to uh, criticize this paper in this way, but in terms of research papers, this is not like on a scale of one to 10 for difficulty. This is probably like a four or something like that. It's, and that's not a criticism, just saying this isn't like a 70 page or, you know, 15 year research study they did. This is a pretty small case study, but even for me, someone that reads a lot of research and this isn't the most complex research and it's in a journal that accepts a lot of research mm -hmm. is not particularly picky. Um, there are so many things I missed about it and the first time reading through it. And so um, 
it just really shows you like there are so many things to research paper that you can easily miss. And if you've got a bias in a particular way, it is so easy just to look at something quickly and have that confirm your bias if you're looking for something in particular. So I think this is a great episode and we plan on doing these at least monthly, right, PJ? Yeah. Listen, if there's a demand for it, we'll do more. And yeah, you know, think of it, think of it like cliff notes for fitness. It's sort of where we're kind of helping people understand this and, uh, and hopefully not only dive deep into these studies to learn about what's coming out of them and what information they can glean from it, but start to understand the kinds of questions maybe they should be asking as they're reading studies, uh, you know, to just test whether it makes sense, right? So is this credible? And mm. that's hopefully something that people will get from it. Right. So here we've got the professor to help us get through this stuff in a way that makes sense to the rest of us. So um, that's what I think is great about this episode, that you can go through a research paper and see that, you know, there's a lot of things that you can miss the first time around. But thankfully, we have Dr. J that can, you know, walk us through it. So well, I'm in. I love arguing. I love winning arguments. Mm -hmm. So I feel like this is a really good place for me to be. So I can do more of that. Yeah. Last okay. point real quickly is we, <laughs> there, in that particular episode, we needed to put some illustrations into yes. the show notes. And occasionally when people listen to these, they should take the time to get onto the website and log in and, and check out those show notes and illustrations because they're helpful. Okay. Here is our second clip, which is, towards the end of the episode of the fine print and I picked this one because I thought that it really shows a thinking process and not just like reading the abstract which is what they're trying to get through to you guys is like how to dive deeper literally the most literal sense of it <laughs> so enjoy less relative shoulder, although this anterior deltoid number seems way out of whack compared to everything else that's going on. And they don't talk about that in the study, which is really astonishing to me that they leave that out. Yeah, it is interesting because, you know, again, if, if you had a specific agenda, you could say, hey, look, if you want to actually generate more muscular activity, but put less load on a joint, do it this way. And by the way, it's completely superior in terms of core stabilization. So, and I'm not, obviously we don't know their intentions, but if, if your agenda was to, to progress that notion, they could have easily taken that data and, and said something along those lines, but they, they chose to not um, discuss anything about the higher activity in the anterior deltoid. Or they maybe they just didn't see this and and think that it was significant. But when I see that, when I say, "Well, wait a minute, you've got significantly less load but more muscle activity," something is happening here. And so, mm -hmm. you know, I think the natural tendency at this point, when somebody's looking at a study and they're seeing the results and they've read the abstract and they've probably already jumped to the discussion and the conclusion, they're saying, "Okay, that's it. Forget the bench press." We're just going to do this standing cable press because I get more core muscle activation. I don't need strong upper body in order to be able to 
you know, do these functional activities. Got it. Message received. I'm going to go and follow this. And I'm saying, eh, wait a minute. There's right. some problems here <laughs> that we have to deal with before we can accept that as face at face value. Right. right? The, the fine print, so to speak. The fine print. So now let's look at the fine print because that's where we're going to start to see things. Yeah, and let's have some fun. Mm. Um, okay. N- the next episode, number eight. You've got nerve. Well, I, I finished this one this morning and I, um, I made some good promos for it. I, I, I think all of Gigi and I, our peers need to need to listen to this one. I think mm-hmm. the word neural adapt, the term neural adaption is really overused in the fitness industry, not the sport strength and conditioning industry. I think uh, it's it's used to sell sell products. I think it's um, not. I, I I don't think they're warranted to use this in the way that marketing is using it. And I this episode to me um, also. Uh, about a type of exercise and taking it out of context. It w- you guys use some really good examples of that in this episode. And Dr. Dave Bame was, uh, he's a great he's conversationalist. A he's a national I, treasure for he's Canada. He's a national treasure. I, I'm, I'm on board with that. I love it. Yeah, he was fun. I mean, I didn't expect that from him and, and of Anyone who has the right to stand up and look down at everybody around him, I mean, he certainly does. I mean, 300, over 300 articles and 20,000 citations. Mm-hmm. And the fact that he worked with Digby Sale, I mean, that's enough. I mean, Digby Sale is an icon in, in exercise science and mm-hmm. neuromotor function. But he was just such a pleasant, humble, friendly, funny guy. And it was great just to converse with him. Mm. And what I, you're right. People throw the term neural adaptation around, like they actually know what it is. And it's just, it's a very misunderstood thing. Mm -hmm. And it's far more complicated than what people think about Mm. when they're talking about motor programs and engrams. Folks typically don't really understand that. They just like to throw those words around. And we thought, you know what, let's get it from the horse's mouth because this guy has done so much research in this area. Uh, he can tell us something that is also practical. So that again, let's shake the tree, change people's point of view, get them thinking a little bit more critically. And then hopefully there's something that they can take away with them. Fab. Uh, yeah. Gigi? Yeah. So this again was another, what, you know, like Dave Bain to me is on my Mount Rushmore of uh, exercise science authors. And, you know, sometimes when you meet people that you you really respect, um, it doesn't turn out as well as you would hope. And he was, you know, everything that I could have hoped for. Just again, like to, mm-hmm. to second what PJ was saying, just a nice, humble, easy person to talk to. Um, and frankly, he said, so we ended up taping about three hours with him, which we're going to release the other sections, um, next season. 
Um, and even with those three hours, there are plenty of things that I would have liked to have broken down into a fine powder to really like mm-hmm. get, because we actually, there, there are certain things on there that he said that actually surprised me a little bit. And I'll leave that as a teaser for anyone that hasn't listened to the episode, but mm-hmm. yeah, just, and anyone, anyone that is a personal trainer, anyone that is interested uh, in exercise and more of an academic level. I, cause I listened to it again this morning myself and starting at about minute 17 of this podcast, he explains, um, what we call a motor unit recruitment and rate coding, which is basically how we fine tune our movements. And he does it about as elegantly and as simplified as possible. And for anyone that is interested in that and wants to find like, you know, I'm interested in that, but every time I go and Google, it just like, I'm just overwhelmed. Start at minute 17 and listen to him explain it. Um, mm. Cause it's just a, it's a really, it, it's done with a lot of elegance. Um, and yeah, so PJ, we had a, we wanted to talk to him about um, the intent. So we, we spoke about in that episode, uh, one of his landmark studies, which is intention versus actual velocity, mm. which is uh, in his study, um, what they showed was that they were looking at how you recruit um, rate of tension development in muscles. And they had the same person one leg was uh, moving rapidly and one leg was constrained, but their intent was to move very rapidly. And what they thought was that only the leg that moved very rapidly would show these rate of tension development improvements. But what they actually found was both sides did. Um, so that that's, a, and we got to speak to him about that study because there's a lot of people, even in our world, Jen, that have taken that like we were just talking about, they probably read like the paragraph abstract of that and have taken that idea to such an extreme end where they actually demonize any dynamic exercise. Because I'll say, look, yes, this, that's very this strange. Episode, this guy showed that if you just think about moving fast, that's enough. So don't, don't move it. All you need to do is an isometric and think about moving fast because that's going to solve all your, all your movement goals. Yeah, you're going to burn through a lot of clients that way because nobody actually enjoys isometrics like at a full, you know, like as a full, like that's your workout. Uh, well, look, maybe somebody does, but maybe again, somebody. Okay. like in the fitness ecosystem, is that really taking advantage of all the tools you have that you're going to do one hour of only isometrics? I, I would beg to differ. <laughs> well, but let's let's also look at... So we need to expand on this a little bit because the question that that came out of that study, what they were trying to answer was not necessarily about rate of tension development. It was actually about speed specificity. Mm-hmm. So what your velocity specificity, there was a whole decade of research on speed specific training and the fact that the gains you get in strength are specific to the velocity at which you gain them. So that's a very, very important question because it really defines the pace at which we need to train in order to get certain outcomes. Again, this mm-hmm. is a functional thing. Mm-hmm. So really, like this is getting at, is super slow training any good? So what they were really looking at was what's the speed-specific response? And what they determined was it wasn't the actual velocity at which you moved 
that determined the speed specific response. It was your intended velocity. So in doing an isometric contraction, he wasn't necessarily trying to show that isometrics were effective. He was trying to see if doing isometric contractions very rapidly would create a similar speed specific response as an actual rapid movement. And he was able to demonstrate that. So really that's the critical thing that came out of that study is that it's not about how fast you actually move. It's mm-hmm. about how fast you intend to move and whether you're working against a heavy load and law, second law of motion, law of acceleration says the heavier it is, the lower your rate of acceleration. But if you intend to accelerate that as fast as you can, you're going to get a speed specific response. That has a major impact on the way we train people. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So that to me is, is the, the real juice that comes out of that study. And it's a landmark study. I mean, it's absolutely one of the top studies that came out in the 90s uh, in the neuromotor realm. So it was amazing to hear him talk about it. Yeah, that's super cool. Not super slow. Um. (laughs) Super slow is interesting. What are, so what are your uh, feedback and comments about the interview with Kelly? Now that hasn't released yet, right? I haven't heard it. I haven't even heard it's it. It's coming out on it's coming out on on Wednesday. I think that's our final episode before yeah the, of the season. So yeah, Kelly, you know, conversation with a fitness icon. She's a fitness icon. If people don't know who Kelly Roberts is, they should just hop on YouTube and search for Kelly Roberts, and you'll see her up there teaching a step class with Cher. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, I watched it. Yeah, as she said, she was a Jeopardy question. I mean, <laughs> I've known Kelly for 20-something years, and this woman has been all around the fitness industry. She's been a key influencer, and we wanted to do something – that was sort of lighter and more friendly and, and fun as opposed to getting deep into the science. Um, and so we brought her on just to talk about, you know, what's the experience? What have you done? What have you seen? What's the world like to you? Mm. And uh, she was a lot of fun. She was a great sport and she shared a lot of interesting things with us. Yeah. Um, yeah. We, uh, our initial idea with the, with the podcast we we're going to do with Kelly was to really like, sort of have a fun episode about sort of all the goofy things we see in the gym. And we do that a little bit. We get into some exercises that we've all seen, but she wanted to speak a lot. You know, her experience is really more on the group fitness side and she wanted to speak about that. And one thing that she brought up that I thought was really interesting was that, um, cause I'm not, I'm not, I, I know about group fitness, but I've never been a group fitness instructor and I'm not really on that side of the, the realm, so to speak. So, uh, to hear her experience, someone that's, you know, largely been in group fitness. So she mentioned something where um, the same for a certain uh, certification organization, they would have a certification for a personal trainer and the certification for a group fitness instructor. And the group fitness instructor, like course manual would be like, you know, a quarter of the size Mm. of the one for the personal trainer. And that's sort of implying that like the group fitness instructor either can't or is not interested in learning the same volume of information 
that the personal trainer does. Um, and in a way that there, that's kind of in, in inequality in a way, like, mm. so on one hand, obviously there are people that are going to go towards the path of least resistance and sign up for courses that require the least amount of information. But what's really special about Kelly is that she did the opposite. Like she always went out of her way to become educated. And she actually knows PJ because she would take his courses back when PJ was teaching for Equinox and she's dedicated her life basically to like education and she could have easily just gotten by on her name and you know what she's done and no one is going to you know dig too deep into her resume to see what courses she may or may not have taken but to her credit she's really gone out of her way and still does to this day to you know educate herself so I thought that was really uh inspiring, interesting. And then, you know, PJ, she just had some interesting stories because she traveled all over the world. And she mentioned that in Italy, she would see ashtrays on like the ellipticals mm-hmm. and stuff. And that was funny. That was my favorite part of the whole. Yeah. Because <laughs> you can so imagine it, right? Like, I yeah. So, I mean, here we are. We, we, we did talk a little bit about some goofy things that we see. And, you know, I was thinking of, like people doing bizarre exercises on Smith machines and stuff like that. And she said, well, yeah, the craziest thing I saw was an ashtray on the step mill. And I'm thinking, <laughs> wait, wait, that came out of left that field. Didn't even... but in Italy. Yep. Yeah. In Italy. And, and by the so way, so if, for, if, you know, there's a big fitness trade show in Europe, it's called FIBO. It's probably the largest trade show in the world. Uh, here in the States, we have Ursa and Ursa is like, 300,000 square feet of fitness trade show. When you go to FIBO, it's like a million and a half square feet. Wow, I mean, it's God. just ridiculous. Where and is so it? It's in Cologne, Germany. And oh. um, it's an amazing thing if you ever get a chance to go. And what you do is you go in the hall and you see all these fitness products and equipment manufacturers and supplements and everything. And then you go outside the hall and everyone's standing out there smoking. So <laughs> right. it's that that's what it reminded me of but you know it was it was great to hear her talk about the challenges that she's had especially coming through group x and Mm -hmm. you know i asked her was the small manual that that super thin group x manual was it because people didn't care or do they really care more about choreography and timing and because that's what's driving people and i think that may be the the major factor behind it, but um, coming from her and hearing her experiences, I think was really eye-opening to me. Mm. And again, as Gigi pointed out, she just wants to keep learning. She's a sponge. And for someone who's been doing this as long as she has, to have that passion to continue to educate herself and grow her mind share, I mean, I think it's wonderful. Cool. Yeah. And as group fitness continue, you know, group fitness is, is not going to go backwards, even with COVID, I think as soon as gyms open up, I think people, it's something people really like. Um, so Kelly is the change that she wants to see. So she's going to be leading, leading the charge to, I think, um, at some point, there will be some more teeth into the education process of group fitness instructors, because I just think it's going to be, um, I think it's going to be a job that a lot of people are going to gravitate towards in the next 10, 20 years. Hmm. So. Interesting. Um, well, are you guys excited to launch 
your whole I don't know like the next episodes and like what else is what what can you tell us oh well we've got some ideas we've got some stuff cooking very excited would like to take a little break first but then uh yeah very excited we're and you know frankly now that we're seeing some of the analytics of the episodes um i think that's that'll probably lead to some conversations we'll have about maybe changing some content and if we see a certain uh, we see a demand for certain topics so um yeah we've got one on torque that we're going to do which again is something that um is a complex topic but is critical to understanding if you're interested Mm -hmm. in exercise and we're going to do our best to simplify it and make it digestible for everybody um what else pj so we've i I will definitely do another fine print episode for sure and i've i've got one at top of mind which i can't wait to just dive right. into because don't mention it we're going to pull it apart <laughs> yeah um we i think we're going to do one on uh time under tension that's yeah. something we've been batting good, about yeah. which is a very popular topic and uh i have some perspective on that and the other one that i'd like to do is on open and closed chain i think mm-hmm. i actually oh, saw an instagram post yeah, I saw one, you know, a, a guy who's very well respected uh, say, like, who cares? What does it matter? And on some level, it doesn't. But there are things that we can think about that make it useful. But for the most part, people don't understand what it is. So we um, that's one that we've got teed up. And um, we just, you know, we have to organize some ideas we've got a list of things but we want to hear from people too yeah and be responsive to our listeners and and offer them something that they're really burning to hear right what's their burning desire so i won't hold back i'll let you know yeah well in particular we want to start a study club where you know we end up you know dissecting the papers that are suggested to us from the audience and then we actually have a much more interactive conversation where, and, you know, we're, we're figuring that stuff out, but anyone that's listening, that's enjoyed the podcast so far, really please reach out to us via our Instagram page at fitness for consumption. Um, and a couple people have thus far, and they're sort of asking us about different books and things like that, which is great. But what we'd really like to know is any studies that you've read, been confused by, that you haven't read because you think it's above your, you know, comprehension level, whatever it is, if it's in the movement science world, let us know because we want to know what studies people are interested in. And we want to build a club where we do something together on on at least a monthly basis. Fabulous. All right. I have to run. Okay. That is a wrap. Thank you guys so much. Thank you so much for hanging out with us for this recap. Again, if you really enjoyed a lot of this, go back, uh, listen to the episodes in its entirety. Personally, I love listening on Spotify because they have a 1.2 and 1.5 option, whereas iTunes only has a 1.5. Anyways, we would love to have you guys uh, listen to all of these episodes. But, you know, now you can pick and choose if you haven't already. <laughs> I think that these are timeless. You know, they 
they are again concept conceptual thinking it's logic as well it's uh the way that we apply science so none of this will go out of vogue or out of style versus other fitness podcasts and products and they go they come in and out and they make full circles and that is why we have to start thinking about you know being fit how we have to apply the way that we the way that we think about fitness to you know into the gym and or outdoors or to our sport this cannot be said enough so i really appreciate you guys having a community of learners and listeners like this the think fit be fit community is just marvelous i am so touched i'm impressed i knew that there were other people like my clients out there in the world and you know it's just amazing that it's all coming together and i'm connecting with you guys through instagram twitter the newsletter and all of that you know and what I mean by that is that my my clients at my practice needed the next level thinking for the next level of fitness and they were looking for it but they didn't know where to start and I think deeply about this stuff so it's you really what I talk about during our sessions uh the muscle activation technique sessions and it's what I talk about in my free time if I see people socially or wherever that means now I talk about this stuff it is such a passion and I'm so privileged to bring it to you guys thank you for your support and I look forward to being with you on this journey through our next season. We're well over 30,000 downloads. We're well over 100 episodes. So let's keep rocking. Sign up uh, to the newsletter. Check out our affiliates if you want to support us. And I look forward to coming back with more amazing stuff in uh, the first part of 2021. Have a wonderful week. Have a wonderful month uh, wherever you are. And I just am so grateful for you. Thank you so much for being here.